This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome to Primal Screen, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. You've had a little bit of time off, but um, it sounded good. There we good. go. <laughs> and now I can hear yours. Fantastic. Um, yeah, just a little bit of time off. Two of the last, uh, f- I've only been on two of the last 14 weeks. A few things have happened. Yeah. Um, you know, with various things. Um, going to talk about a certain debut. Flick got a haircut. <laughs> Finally. Uh, <laughs> as possibly as Carl. I can't quite tell. He has the... No. <laughs> no. Um, I, yeah, we, uh, my partner Perry Cummings and I made a movie. Yeah. A uh, horror feature film called Apparitions, which had its world premiere at Monsterfest on a Saturday night to a sold out crowd. And that was quite a special, special night. Um, a lot of lovely energy in the room. Um, a lot of cast and crew and friends of, but also randoms who we didn't know um, also really enjoyed the film and came up to us to tell us how much they dug it. So, yeah, that was amazing. I'm, so Yeah, I think it's amazing the work that you and Pez do, but just to get to that point and to screen it at one of our local independent cinemas is really lovely That's well. what's great. I mean, it's a yeah. cinema we've been to so many times. It's a f- film festival that we've been to uh, various times. My, uh, short of mine screen there in 2016. So, yeah, to, to have this kind of hometown premiere after the last two years that we've had. I mean, we shot the film in mid-2019, so this has been a, you know, a long wait. But, yeah, i, I got to tell you, after these last two crazy <laughs> years, it's closed really strong. Yeah, you, you, you deserve it, <laughs> for <you>. sure. <laughs> I'm almost willing to admit I do too. Uh, <laughs> we've been through the hell of it. So if you're wondering, uh, dear listeners, what the heck you're listening to, uh, you are listening to Primal Screen. Uh, a well, uh, a film criticism and TV criticism and all the screens you want to watch sort of show and it's very critical. <laughs> it's very critical of things. <laughs> um, That's what we do. This is uh, the the annual countdown of Primal Screen's favourite films of the year, and for the very last time, I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio for my swan song is I couldn't have thought of anyone better. My primary Primal Screen, co-host, <laughs> co-anchor, co-pilot and good friend, Miss Flick Ford. Oh, Paul, it's, I'm going to try not to cry, but I do feel quite emotional. <laughs> it's been, I've known you for a long time and, yeah, it's been an amazing time doing this show with you. It's been a heck of a ride and you've always been so, um, um, like, wonderful to co-host with and, you know, and I, <laughs> I did an interview with The Trip about me leaving this and the thing I put is my... Uh, I was asked, what are my off-air highlights? And literally, it was drinks at the Lomond yeah. Hotel with you <laughs> you folks. Um, it's my favourite thing. Yeah, it's just been uh, getting to know you all and I'm just getting emotional myself. Um, has just been such a delight and such a pleasure um, to chat with you and Sal and Em and, 
and and Lisa and Will and Fee and everyone else we've had on the show over these yeah. last three years. And, yeah, it's just been a joy. And actually two of those three years have been kind of <laughs> hectic. <laughs> have they? Like the, <laughs> just a tad, but all of the workarounds that we yeah. did with – you know, remote broadcasts from our bedrooms or studies or lounge rooms and um, designing shows of what do you, how do you do a film show when there's no cinemas open and no new films coming out? Um, yeah. I think we cracked it. I think we did. I, yeah. I think, oh, I think we cracked the formula. <laughs> the whole like history of cinema. To yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like that's the thing. I mean, I, more than anything, I love to, I'd love to be kind of a film evangelist. And recommend films to people they might not have seen, or, or ask them to look at look in places and genres that they might not ordinarily look. And I, I feel like over the last two years, we've almost built this library of standalone episodes of that people can go back and listen to in the future, even that don't necessarily date in the way that yeah. you, that you know being bound to a release date, yeah, or I, a cultural conversation yeah. kind of works. And I agree completely. And also one of the lovely things about having, like, doing this show with you is that we have really different tastes often. Yes. I mean, like, there's definitely stuff we agree on and, like, completely get obsessed over. But then there's films where I was like, I've never heard of this film and you've recommended it to me and I've loved it. And that in itself, that sharing of love of cinema but also just, like, recommendations where you're like, okay, I never would have been aware of this artist's work or this director or whatever it was. And that's why I feel. I mean, it's certainly why I do it, and and that really warms me to to hear that. And I hope I've done that for um, not only a good self, but our listeners out there as well. I'm sure you have, Paul. Um, I think, uh, yeah, for people who are wanting to go back and do a bit of a deep dive on all the things we talked about <laughs> in lockdown, um, you can go to rr.org.au or, or follow us on our podcast or subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, get into some films turn, films celebrating significant anniversaries, films from certain genres and movements and films, awesome films directed by women that you haven't heard of and yeah, it's been a joy. But here we are, Flick. Yeah. <laughs> After reviewing 118 films, this uh, six limited series, two television serials, over 45 weeks of shows, including a live symposium on Melbourne Knowledge Week, our Radiothon show, spotlights on numerous local film festivals and shortened student filmmakers, the time has come for Primal Screen to come together. The team have come together by secret ballot to decide their collective top 10 new release films of 2021. Due to the fact that we had so many frequent guest, guest hosts this year, we had more people vote in this poll than ever before. The top tens of Sally Christie, Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood, even our faithful long-time panellist, Killer Carl Chapman. <laughs> you about to say long-suffering. <laughs> long-suffering, yeah. That's, that's true. This evening, you know, my, my arrival proved that. Um, <laughs> as well as Flick and myself. And the, and the top less than tens of Will Cox and Fee Wright. Uh, Fee gave us three films. Uh, have been, she's been a busy woman this year. It's a bit cheeky. <laughs> have been collated, tallied up, weighted according to individual rankings and combined into one beautiful ranked Voltron of 2021 top 10 lists to, to rival Cahier du Cinema or Sight and Sound. Can we actually bring you back next year? I know this is your final show, but can we actually bring you back? I don't think I can do this spreadsheet without you, Paul. <laughs> I actually, you know what? If if you just like if I just came in to do the <laughs> countdown shows, I would love that. All right, I'm let's such make a nerd it happen. For this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm the, the, I, this is goodbye is not farewell. I will return for countdown. <laughs> um, I, I deal. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we didn't get to see stuff coming to your screens over the next few weeks. So you won't see Licorice Pizza, The Matrix Revolution, Spencer, The Worst Person in the World, Belfast, or any other buzz titles um, that are sort of in the Oscar conversation at the moment that haven't come out here yet in these lists. But who knows? They might make it on to next year's. And I've got in my notes here, if our new hosts decide to do one, in which case... Of course. You've got to do an end-of-the-year list. Everyone does them. And they're so good because you get to the end of the year and you're like, how did I miss this film? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome seeing it. And it's kind of like more reliable than the Oscars, I reckon. 100%. And you're taking stock of, you know, of also the stuff you've seen and enjoyed and like, yeah, you sort of you know, did get something out of this year. <laughs> <laughs> Watched 135 films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also on Letterboxd too, um, I'm um, Paul Anthony Nelson or Cinema Viscera on Letterboxd. I've also made, as I do every year, a list of every film we reviewed on, on the show this year. So you can uh, find that as well. Damn it, do I have to do that, man? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm probably not going to do that next year. <laughs> so as an avowed fan of any kind of film countdown or rankings, I am delighted to see out my last ever show as the host of Primal Screen by announcing this one. And as an added treat to set the mood, before we get into the list, Flick and I are going to chat about each of our top five new discoveries of 2021, all the films we saw for the first time this year, given how much of it we spent in lockdown. And if you, if you, dear listener, have any thoughts or feelings about our show's top ten lists or any films you think we did dirty, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So it's a big show. We have about 20 films to chat about. So let's dig in, shall we? Let's do it. So, Flick, I ask a lot of you at this time of year, and so as well as your top ten, <laughs> I ask for your top five new discoveries of 2021. What hidden gems or so-called list of shame items did you unearth this year? Um, I think the one that stands out for me is we did a special with Lisa Kovacevic on the Irish Film Festival, and the one that I hadn't been aware of was the 2020 film Wolfwalkers, um, which is uh, directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. It's just exceptional. It is um, animated and it's all about uh, a young girl who is kind of um, – there's this whole, like, disconnect between um, the the wolf people outside and the wolf women and then the, the people who are trying to sort of settle this area and, and rip down all these trees. And it's just – it was ex- exceptional and – I'm trying to think of the other ones that I had. Most of mine, I think, are more kid, um, kid ones. Oh, really? <laughs> children's films. Yeah. And you've started with an animated film. Uh, the others are more kid films than the yeah. animated film. The it's animated film though. is it has a feeling of it, like it could very well be a kids film, but mm. it also has that yeah, it lends itself to an adult audience because of some of the other themes that are there in yes. the background. Well, but... I was going to say with Wolfwalkers because I was there for that show yeah, with you too, and it's yeah. it's got so many. It's working on so many of those levels. Like you've got the environmental level, but you've also got the outcast level. But you've also got the English colonizing. You know the island, yeah. and 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 the feminist level of exactly, this, and the mother daughter relationship, yeah. and what's expected of women, yeah, and yeah. There's a lot of levels there for an animated film, so and a wonderful bang on, and a wonderful thing to include in a festival. Like sometimes animation gets kind of sidelined, and yeah, it's just wonderful to spotlight the work and exceptional animation. I, I just got really sunk into it, and the other one I was thinking of that just came to my head was um, we did um, Daniel. Um, Daniel James, uh, Will and I did a 
kind of similar to what a lot of the ones we did in lockdown, like comfort film mm-hmm. watch, Escapers Delights, and um, Paddington 2. Yes. I, I love Paddington 1, and I finally got around to seeing Paddington 2, and I was like, damn, this is a good film. I actually think it's better than Pat, the first Paddington. Uh, just wonderful, just like really fun, joyful, clever so much physical comedy, um, wonderfully written, uh, and a few uh, and so just a bullet of joy. Yeah, really. Both is. of those films are right to the heart. Like, yeah, I, I like you know any film with an animated animal, I'm instantly on the back foot. And yeah, I loved Paddington as a kid, but it was one of those ones where it's like I don't know if I want to see this. And then eventually, I saw the first one, I'm like, holy crap, this is really great. And then yeah. yeah, as you say, they backed it up with the second one, and it's possibly even better. And I'm disappointed Paul King isn't coming back to do the third one, um, but. Because there's such a vision there, and mm. I, I, yeah, just from the color, they're sort of like take a sort of a Wes Andersoning sort of aesthetic, but take it to the, another level. Um, you know, it's like Wes Anderson meets the Mighty Bush, which Paul King also directed. So yeah, no, I love it too. That's so much such a joy. great pick. Yeah, and so much joy. Like I feel like that's what we really needed. So we yes. had. I think I'd actually booked in to do like an environmental film <laughs> sort of focus, About and then, yeah, and I was like, actually, I can't. I can't do that what, this week. Wasn't that also the week? Like there was another lockdown dropped or yeah. something. Like it was a huge, and there was the earthquake. It might have actually been yeah. that crazy I, week. I think I was. Yeah, I, the earthquake had like damaged the pipes in my backyard, split open, and cost like eleven thousand dollars worth oh my of damage. God. And then I was like, oh great. I have to do a show on climate change. <laughs> so I, yeah, in between crying through the presser, I was like, oh, you know what, let's just do something nice. <laughs> um, but also another shift we had this year was we started to include television series. And so some of the stuff I came across through that was Mr. Inbetween, mm. which have you seen, Paul? I have I'm, not. No. I'm very keen though because it seems very up my alley. You would love it, I think. Mm. Um, really Amazing performance uh, ba- based on a short film that then got put into um, yeah into yeah. this and because I've seen the magician years yeah. and years ago but yeah. yeah he's just exceptional I'm just trying to think of the his and, name and the... again that thing you were talking about on the show I love that that's his entire career yes. it's the only role he's ever played yeah. over twenty years so it's kind of it's kind of wild as well isn't it where it's like at what point is it the character yeah <laughs> what point is it is he um, just playing himself or yeah. is this a, yeah it's, it's kind of crazy um. Yeah, Ray Shoesmith, uh, who is is the character, and uh, I've forgotten his name. Scott Ryan. Yes. Oh, sorry, and he's just a fascinating person. I've listened to a lot of interviews with him, so I really enjoyed Mr. Inbetween. Uh, brand new cherry flavour, which, again, I'm feeling Sounds like you would Sounds a little up my into, alley yeah. as well. Um, and I May You Destroy You, which I think is yeah. one of the best. Yeah, which I'm also keen. I've seen none mm. of these. Uh, they're all on my watch list. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's why we do these shows because if you've missed anything during the year, you can catch up on it. Um, yeah. So, so those are your uh, – so. I suppose so. I kind of did a real loose one, didn't I? I suppose another one that came up so, was – So what have we got? Wolfwalkers, Paddington 2, Mr. Inbetween, Brand New Cherry Flavour. I May Destroy You. And I May Destroy You. And can I add in a, can I add in a special shout-out to – um, Cerise just did like she she forwarded on so many interesting choices um, that we ended up including in the show, like the Magic Voice of a Rebel, which was a fantastic documentary. Um, and she also I don't know I just feel like there was lots of really interesting mm. stuff that I wouldn't otherwise have been across. So um, that has been a lovely experience as well. Good old Cerise, yeah, talk about your film <laughs> evangelists. Cerise yeah. Howard is absolutely <laughs> that. Um, 
That's awesome. What a great list. And yeah, so much. Again, I, I greatly enjoyed um, Wolf Walkers and particularly Paddington too. But and those three shows are yeah, I've got to see them. I mean, you know, brand new cherry flavors set in Hollywood in the nineties. You would just love it. It's just like I saw the trailer. And it's like, is this going to be like a like a Ryan Murphy sort of thing? But the more I've heard about it, it's not that. And um, they don't, Nick Antosca, who you interviewed, who made that. Um, did a show called uh, Channel Zero, which yeah. is another box set I have at home that I need to watch. Yeah. Um, so I'm keen. I was watching it just being like, this is so poor. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I can't, I probably didn't text you. I can't even remember. But yeah, I was just like, <laughs> thought of you immediately. <laughs> well, I got to say, my top five discoveries, um, my, my number five is, I don't know, and it is the thing, some of these you might have seen. Um, number five is uh, for my friends and I, okay, so I, Quick thing, I got in this podcast called Screen Drafts, which is a movie game which essentially you get together with someone else and you have alternating picks and you try and collectively collectively draft the top seven films in any given genre or an actor oh, or whatever. Amazing. And you each have one veto each. So you can veto something to either kick it off the list or push it up. Um, but when you get you can get a group of four together and do a, a, like a, a mega or super draft, which is a, of 20 picks. Wow. So my friends and I have started doing um, – <laughs> mega drafts from years. So we pick the top 20 films of 1999 and 1994 and you don't know what the other person's going to pick until they, you know, lay it, they lay it down. You've got to think about where it sits on the list and what you want up higher and what you want to defend and all this sort of stuff. And so one of the ones we did was for 1986. So I discovered two films from 1986 this year that destroyed me. One is Neil Jordan's Mona Lisa. Oh. I haven't seen that. With Bob Hoskins and Kathy Tyson and Michael Caine in a role that he may never have been this chilling before or since. It uses those cold blue eyes to perfect effect. Um, and it's just about Bob Hoskins is this sort of small-town cockney gangster who gets out of prison, having done a stretch, you know, sort of been nicked and kind of kept his mouth shut for the boss, who's Michael Caine. And he gets out, and the world isn't has already moved on without him, and it's already he's not quite sure of his place in it, and he gets told to drive around a um, sex worker played by Kathy Tyson. And she is very – she's kind of upmarket and she's very kind of um, elegant. And he sort of – it's this weird thing where he sort of develops feelings for her but also these sort of paternal feelings and can't – but also can't reconcile that mm. And because he's kind of this, you know, sort of rough and tumble kind of guy but there's this sensitivity in him. And it's this beautiful complex character study between the two of them um, that's the kind of thing that you just don't see enough anymore because mm. it's so complex. And there's times when he's flat out unlikable and – and there's times when he's just adorable and he's got, you know, Robbie Coltrane's in it. He's his mm. best friend who he goes and tells about everything and he lives in a caravan and writes mystery novels. It's frig- it's so good. So Mona Lisa, the other film from 1986, is a favourite of my partner's, which he's been recommending to me forever, which is a big, tough sit, but it is incredible, which is Betty Blue. Oh, right. From uh, director Jean-Jacques Benix. Yeah. Um, and that is... Um, we watched the director's cut on the Criterion disc and it is just a uh, overwhelming experience. It's almost like reading a great novel. Mm. It's these two characters um, and it's, uh, it's sort of this, this guy who's a budding author uh, meets this woman who's um, p- played by Beatrice Dahl in this iconic performance and she has, you know, she's this incredibly exciting person but she also is, has, uh, is battling um, various kind of mental illnesses and the two of them, um, he's trying to, and it's the thing, he sort of loves her so much, he kind of, they they have this sort of little unit together, sort of trying to hold each other together, and the you go along like a novel, um, following them to the people they meet, and she's you know determined to get him to write a book, and she's typing it up and all this sort of thing. And it's just 
really beautiful and goes to some um, dark places. It also goes to some sort of genre-adjacent kind mm. of places. And it's just that beautiful French kind of... It's it's part of the kind of the cinema de Luc movement with, you know, uh, Luc Besson and Leo, Leos Carax sort of came up at the same time. And it's mm. almost that meets Truffaut. It's really... That sounds amazing. It's <laughs> Yeah. It's, okay. It's... Heartbreaking, you say? I'm, I'm in. You're in, yeah. It's pretty <laughs> devastating. Um, I also saw... Um, Charlie Chaplin's debut, The Kid, for the first time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I watched The Kid in City Lights. And I know that City Lights is kind of the popular pick for the masterpiece, but I thought The Kid was better. Like, the, there is something so beautiful and primal about The Kid. Mm. And it's just ageless. It's this thing that would, like, it would just hit you like a hammer at any time in history that you watch it. It's like as long as, you know, kind of yeah, sort of uh, mo- uh, not mock but like pseudo-parental relationships and poverty are a thing this will be a thing. And it's so beautiful and so funny and so full of heart and brilliantly directed. It's one of the all-time great directorial debuts, as if anybody needs telling that. But if you've not seen Chaplin, I mean, it just made me go, yeah, I need to watch. I've only seen like a handful of Chaplin's movies and I need to just deep dive into that because the kid is perfection. Um, th- th- another film is a film that is that you were saying a brand new cherry flavour. This is almost me as a film. 1975's Night Moves. Oh. Directed by Arthur it, Penn. I don't know if I know that one. Am I confusing it? Tell, tell yeah, because there's a Kelly Reichardt okay. environmental thriller called yeah. Night Moves. <laughs> this is not that. Wait a moment. This I is... mean, maybe also you. <laughs> You're <laughs> a complex be. man. <laughs> I contain multitudes. <laughs> um, so this is a film by um, uh, by Arthur Penn, who directed Bonnie and Clyde and, and various other things. And it's... Um, and it's a detective film uh, based on a, on a novel. Um, Gene Hackman plays this um, sort of small-time detective named Harry Mosby. And it's, got, it's just got this beautiful lived-in film. It's all set in L.A. in the 70s. It's got this hazy L.A. feel. He's kind of an up, up, pretty, you know, he's morally complex but pretty upstanding kind of guy. And it features some of my favourite lines of the year. It's just got this great... It's a, it's a film you, I just wanted to crawl in and live in there. It's mm. so – and it's got, yeah, that sort of great 70s sort of downbeat ending. Uh, but he is – yeah, he's like an ex-football player turned private eye and he's convinced his wife is cheating on him and he starts trying to find out what's going on and it leads to this other case and it leads to a young Melanie Griffith and various other things. And it's just – yeah, it's just brilliant. It's so cool. Um, you can rent that one on iTunes. But my number one discovery of the year has to be um, – and I think we've talked about this privately in the past – but I'd never seen the Seven Up series before. Oh, of course, we did talk about this. Yes. And oh my god, I like I've. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It's just tremendous. And there's not much I could say about it that hasn't been already said. If you're unfamiliar, um, a documentary filmmaker named Paul Armand in 1964 went to a school and interviewed 14 kids about their experiences and what they how they expect life to go and all this sort of thing. And they're from different classes. He was looking at class disparity in child and how it works out. And then um, someone working on that film, a budding, a young director named Michael Apted, um, came back to seven of the kids, the seven of the kids who committed um, seven years later um, to interview them about how they changed and looking back on themselves when they were seven and then decided to come back every seven years. And the latest one was in 2019 and all the protagonists are 63 um, I'm absolutely gutted that the next one is still five years away. Mm. I dearly want to know how it, it's, it's like, they're like your friends by the end. Mm. It's such, but it's such a wonderful look at, at class and gender and all this sort of, you know, and all these ways. And it's interesting the way the series has evolved and the protagonists have evolved as time has gone on or in some cases devolved. And 
imagine for the for the subjects themselves, it must be fascinating. I think we change so much yeah. throughout our lives and we're not always aware of it. We're not conscious and you just feel like you're always essentially yourself. But really there's so much change based on life events, based on what decisions you make. And then yeah. having someone hold that mirror up to you mm. every seven years and have the public digest it and get feedback from the public. And, and that's and it's interesting throughout the films, you know, the protagonists often remark upon that as well, mm. that sort of thing. It's like, you know, every seven years this is like a poison pill. I'm reminded of all this stuff. And then whereas other people really embrace it and really love it and love to see them again and, love you know, and, and he puts two, you know, two of them together occasionally and it's just... Oh, it's just it's an absolute masterpiece. So yeah, so that's so uh, Flick's top five discoveries: Wolf Walkers, Paddington Two, Mister In Between, Brand New Cherry Flavor, and I May Destroy You. I have. To, can I just add? These were all ones that featured on the show. Yep. I did, oh wow! <laughs> to this... include my off-air <laughs> <laughs> discoveries. Sorry, Paul. Didn't properly read the memo. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I'm sure she has a list of many more. Disclaimer. And my uh, very off-air discoveries were <laughs> Mona Lisa uh, from 1986, The Kid from 1921, Betty Blue from 1986, Night Moves from 1975, and the 7-Up series. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Um, you are back with Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. But before already know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you gave away too much. You were one of them there. <laughs> but, but where did it finish? We don't mm. know. So, as I said at the top of the show, we took a poll of eight of our most frequent co-hosts this year, including Flick and my good self, who each submitted their ranked top ten films of the year lists which I plugged into a spreadsheet because I'm a maniac and assigned a point system. <laughs> ten points for number one pick, down to one point for number ten pick. Broke any ties by first how many lists each film had appeared on, then if they'd appeared on an equal amount of lists uh, and oh got God. points and votes. Um, <laughs> if they'd been any of the voters' number one film, then they got preference. I know uh, that part of it. Oh, my God, Paul. <laughs> this is, oh, it's deep. So uh, I just want transparency in the voting process, Flick. That's fair. <laughs> democratic <Totally> process. <laughs> Um, so through this process, I managed to get a clean top ten for the first time in forever, and I love it. <laughs> so first, some quick stats and a few films were unlu- that were unlikely, unlucky to miss out. So we had six top tens, a top eight, <laughs> a very cheeky top three. Uh, from these 71 picks, 42 films were voted in. Four films got multiple votes, but not only didn't make the top ten, they didn't make the top 20. Oh, wow. Leos Carax's Annette. Jennifer Tixieria uh, and Michael Seligman's excellent documentary, P.S. Burn This Letter, Please, and Todd Stevens's Udo Kier starring Swan Song all got two votes each. But the most popular film to not get anywhere near the top ten, it came in way down at number 22, was Thomas Vinterberg's Another Round, which oh. appeared on three lists. Yeah, okay, that's a shocker, straight off the bat. Um, I know it was on my list. Yeah, it was on, it was on mine too. We wow. both had it very way down on our list, which I think was probably <laughs> why it didn't quite. Now, at the other end of the yeah. spectrum, the only person whose number one film of the year did not appear on anyone else's list was Fee Wright's pick, the, the documentary Sisters with Transistors. Oh, you know what? That was so close to being on mine, but I didn't make my – I watched it for Miff mm. and I didn't make it the whole way through. So I loved what I'd seen of it, but right. I was like – oh, is it okay to put it on a list? Like, what about if it's really terrible for that final, like, 20 minutes? Exactly. 
So it's an eleven for me. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So I, I second fees pick. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a beautiful doco. Uh, it's of course about pioneering female and female identifying electronic musicians, which screened at MIF, as you said. As is often the case with Fee and I on air, we had wildly different reactions to this <laughs> film. I was not a fan, but her lone voice was enough to champion it all the way to sixteenth place. Yeah. Now the top fifteen films all got multiple votes. So the honourable mentions to those who just missed out were Todd Haynes' first feature documentary, The Velvet Underground. Oh, that didn't get that far. Number 15, about oh. the Andy Warhol-formed band who wound up at, uh, wound up as the sound that launched a thousand bands. Mm. Anthony Hopkins' Oscar-winning turn in Florian Zeller's The Father. What? Yeah. Hang on, that didn't make it in. honourable mention. I'm so crushed. That was pretty high up on my list. I love that film. You tried. Tried to push it up there. <laughs> I should have just made it number one. Just like cooked yeah, your, get, cooked yeah, your data. Get at the points. <laughs> then in thir- this, is, this was amazing. It's like at 13th and 12th, right next to each other, and they got the same amount of points. It was a double shot of excoriating social documents from Romania. Alexander Nanau's incredible, uh, incredible documentary collective about a team of journalists uncovering the depths of corruption in the Romanian health system and Radu Jude's bonkers COVID-era social satire, <laughs> bad luck banging or loony porn. Which was a triple R subscriber screening. I think it was one of the more awkward um, After that opening, screens. I bet. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. All I've seen is the trailer and the opening. Cause oh, it's, Paul, it's it's actually <laughs> spectacular. I have to say that the middle part of it, which is just an, uh, a love letter to montage, I think you'd actually really love. Okay. Yeah, it's um, a strange film and um, Cerise got to chat with um, Radu Jude about his film and it's a very good listen if you want to go back to that. Will do. Thank you for uh, pronouncing that properly. <laughs> Um, and, of course, that film was Cerise Howard's number one film of the year. Of course so, it to was. To nobody's surprise. <laughs> Nothing says Cerise Howard more than bad luck banging or loony porn. <laughs> <laughs> then, at number 11, the film that came the closest to cracking the top 10, only missing out after two tiebreaker rounds, was Denis Villeneuve's colossal adaptation of Frank Herbert's seminal sci-fi epic, Dune. Are you kidding me? Number 11. Bloody I think we're going to get cancelled, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, it's a pretty incredible top ten, though. So, okay. you know, this is, like I said, <laughs> to rival Cahir to cinema and sight and sound. I think we really cracked the formula this year. Yeah. Um, and just on Dune 2, there is um, our um, good friend of the show, Alexandra Helen Nicholas. Her partner, Christian McRae, has recently written a uh, book in the Constellations series of books all about Dune. Uh, uh, David Lynch's Dune and digging into that. And that's currently available now on the web and all good bookstores. Um, So grab that if you're wanting some more Dune in your life. Spice head. (laughs) Muadib. Now, Flick, I know three of these films appeared in your top ten. Now, um, so um, that just missed out. How are you feeling? Uh, Look, I'm crushed. I'm (laughs) crushed. I was holding back the tears at the start of the show for other reasons, and now I'm like, I'm just in shock and I don't know how to continue. (laughs) It's ruined. To be fair, I was away for a big chunk of this year, so three solid months, and so I did miss a lot of films. But I've got to say, there are some films you dearly love in this list, so should we unleash the hounds? Primal Screen's top ten films of the year are at number ten is that Rarest of Beasts, a music documentary that I flat out loved about I... ma- maybe the best but certainly the quirkiest band you've never heard of. And the va- and I have to say, 
playing my hand here, the vastly better of the two Edgar Wright films we got this year. Oh, that's a shocker reveal. I actually thought, yeah, I know how much you love Edgar Wright. And I was watching this and I had a moment of thinking, would would Paul love this as much as... Because I know you hate music docos. Yeah. So well, this a, just yeah. cracked into yours and my top ten and was very high in Cerise's, and that is The Sparks Brothers. Yes. Uh, I loved this. I was telling everyone about it, and I feel like I watched so... <laughs> the reverse of you. I watched so many music docos, and... This just stood out to me. I think it's a brilliant. It captures their humour. I didn't. I wasn't actually that aware of them. I'd seen them Nor do the I. intro of Annette, of course, mm. which I thought was spectacular. But I had no other reference point, and I just learned so much about them and loved them and thought, what an amazing creative duo. And yeah, yeah. body of work. And, yes, and so I, much. Work. And I like. I think that's the thing. I've been f- trying to find what it is. I like. I have this very specific style. Like I've always loved. Bands like Queen and early Radiohead and Muse and things like that and early Muse, I guess. But I think it's like art rock. I think that's what they call yeah, it. And it's like, yeah. and after seeing Sparks and instantly loving, it's like, oh yeah, this is definitely my jam. I like this <laughs> sort of thing. And, and it's very playful because you've got Edgar Wright's playfulness. Yes. And sometimes music doggos can be a bit dry and a bit too biographical and just like, okay, you know, you kind of tune out. Unless you're a fan, you don't. You tune yeah, out. 100%. I think you don't need to be a fan to love this doggo. Absolutely not. And and it's the thing. And it's a lot of the talking heads are comedians or, yeah. or, or, you know, other kind of witty musicians. So you've kind of got these great talking heads as well, all shot in this very simple black and white mm. sort of style that gives this film an elegance as opposed to the, you know, the kind of eye-popping colour and bizarre sort of music videos. And, and it's also made – it's clearly made by a nerd. Like he's made it in chronological <laughs> order and yes. it's all their entire career. But I love that. Um, so the Sparks Brothers at number 10. At number 9, one of the things I love most is when a new director makes a stunning debut and then manages to fulfil that promise by backing it up with a killer second effort, which is something that absolutely happened with French mistress of the macabre, Julia Ducourneau, and her genre and gender-bending horror-adjacent drama, Titane. Which I, I did actually love this and I did think about whether to put it on there, but I was so torn. <laughs> a little bit like, should I put it on there? Because it's so original and so there's moments in I was chatting to friends about I can't get it out of my head yes so maybe I should have gone on my list I'm sorry I didn't put on there but I I think that there are moments in this film that I think I'll be thinking about decades from now yeah and that will have essay like video essays written about them because they're so beautiful Mm. like that future islands um dance scene that plays for like basically the duration of the song the lighting work the the connection between this father and like I was trying to describe it I was like it sort of is a bit like that film Imposter and it's a bit like yes. um, uh, Crash and it's, it's a bit crash, like <laughs> crashed into Imposter yeah and they merged into some sort of fleshy metal being and then has all this beautiful colour work that's really similar to Fantastic yeah. Woman you know like I was just like I, what is this film it's wild <laughs> it is it is such a great and like Raw like I loved Raw when I first saw it but it only grew in the years after and I feel like Tatane will be like that as well yeah. and it's one of those films that ends in exactly the perfect place. Um, at number eight is perhaps the very first film we reviewed on air this year, um, speaking of um, films with the name Woman in the title. Speaking of stunning debuts, as I said then, as I said then as now that this writer-director showed some of the greatest grasps of radical tone shifting I'd seen from a debut filmmaker in years while also making a roaring feminist statement. I am, of course, talking about Emerald Fennell's 
promising young woman. I thought that would be on your top. I thought that would be your number one, was it? It was very close. Yeah. It was very high on my list and Emma's list. You were the first person to text me about that film and... I remember. Did we review it on the we show did. together? You yeah. didn't quite have the reaction I, that I expected. No, no. <laughs> but um, I I feel like yeah, there's heaps of people that loved um, uh, promising young woman. And look, it, there's there's lots of I'm still talking about it now. You know, at the yeah. end of the year, and I think that says something. It's yeah, it just really stunned me. Now I'm 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 conscious of time, okay. Okay. so I'm going to keep going because <laughs> this is a film that you um might want to speak to because at number seven is the only film this top ten list I'm still yet to see but I'm super keen I watched one trailer for it and it looked like kind of a chilly monosyllabic Nordic dread piece um, starring an actress I love I already know what you and then I saw a second trailer which without really giving much away looks so friggin insane (laughs) that it's taking all my strength not to watch the screen right now it's Emma Westwood's number one film of 2021, yeah. and that is Valdemar Johansson's yeah. odd horror fable, Lamb. I bloody love this film. It probably could have been higher up on my list. Um, lots of animal-themed <laughs> titles yeah. going on this year. Um, oh, I bloody love this. It's such a oh, fascinating film. Yeah, there's a lot to it. It, it is a comedy, but it's also a drama, and it's also horror, and it's also, yeah, I, I, it's a difficult film to talk about and not give anything away, but... I, I, Remarkable. Uh, that's all I've got. <laughs> I can't wait. It just, yeah, that those two trailers are like chalk and cheese. I was like, what is that, this movie? The, um, all of the marketing around the film is wild. Like you could have this baby lamb as a filter yeah. in front of you. <laughs> I love that it's they great. go there. It's a, yeah, wild. It's great. Now, number six is a film I couldn't vote for as I saw it at MIFF and, uh, last year and voted on it last year. <gasps> but it always bears repeating. This was our occasional co-host Will Cox's number number one film of the year and ranked extremely highly for our panellist, Carl Chapman. Uh, continuing the animal theme is Kelly Reichardt's beautiful drama about two gentlemen trying to make a go of it in the brutal Wild West first cow. Um, so, I'm, yeah, it's... Um, um, but, um, yeah, so that's... Uh, sorry, I, I am going to get Carl to speak to one film, but not this one. It's <laughs> the one coming up. Um, but, yes, I loved First Cow. It was in my top... I think it was my number six film of last year. I actually haven't seen it. You still haven't oh, seen it? No. Two years, a year and a half I later. Was, it was in the the thick of myth, and I was like, oh, I should watch this, and I didn't get around to it, and then it's just like, oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of things. You should to get, get to it. It's yeah, really, I, I might will. be on, like, movie or something now. It probably is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just lovely. Um, so that's the back half of the Primal Screen Team's top ten films of 2021. T- from ten to six, The Sparks Brothers, Titan, Promising Young Woman, Lamb and First Cow. Are you as excited to f- as we are to find out what our top five is? <laughs> or as heartbroken? <laughs> Stay tuned to this station and all will be revealed in just a few moments. Triple R. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. And now we have been counting down Primal Screen's top 10 films of 2021 tonight. Here we are at the pointy end. The brains trust of Primal Screen, Flick Ford, Sally Christie, Cerise Howard, Emma Westwood, Will Cox, Phil Wright, Carl Chapman and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, have voted. The results are in. And after counting off the first half of our top 10 of the year, The Sparks Brothers, Titane, Promising Young Woman, Lamb and First Cow, we are ready to rank our collective top five. Just a quick stat before we jump in. No film on this list turned up in more than... Uh, so no film in the top five had... To, or in the top ten had turned up in more than half of our list. 
Oh. But four of these films, uh, but four turned up in half of our list. So four of them okay. turned up in four of the eight lists, and all four are in the top five. Right. The only one that didn't, the only one of these top five films that didn't appear on half of our lists only appeared on two lists, but they were those two people's favourite film of the year. What was it? So here we go. <laughs> At number five, the second feature, but lots of people likely thought this was a debut, but this was the director's second film. But boy, what an announcement. From director Shaka King, Jesus and the Black Messiah. I can't believe I forgot this. This should have been on my list. You did have it. You had it at number three. No, I didn't. You totally did. I've got it written here. You must have deleted it at some point. You must have. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful because I stand by that. (laughs) Now I'm worrying about what one I sent through, what draft. It made. (laughs) That's why the father wasn't number one. Um, It was on Sally's, Will's, yours, and my list. I bloody love that film. It was a stunner. It was absolute, like just so. And it came at the time too. I think I was seeing a lot of films that just seemed really. Small or or like you know sort of they should have been more cinematic and this just came out it's like bang this was like yes. a big widescreen cinematic biopic but with real you know it felt like Hollywood resources but not making a Hollywood style movie like felt very kind of early Spike Lee yes yeah um, and just uh, Daniel Kaluuya and um, Lakeith Stansfield and um, uh, Dominic Fishback who played yeah. Fred Hampton's wife. Just stunning performance. And the great Jesse Plemons, who's always terrific. Um, yeah, in such a like a great, heartbreaking story. Um, and, it's, oh God, I wish I could put my finger on it. Something that I saw recently that kind of reminded me of this, of somebody who basically got lived this lie and got, you know, for their sort of own means to try to make something out and then got to the end of it and basically, you know, took their own lives you know, not not long after, like because they, they couldn't live with this guilt, and you know, um, below um, uh, Lakeith Stansfield's character, um, Ron O'Neill, yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah uh, um, it happened to him. But yeah, this is just such an urgent, mm. um, terrific film, and it was one of the few films nominated for Oscars last year that was like, yeah, no, you totally deserve to yeah, be in this group. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So at number four, so that's Jesus and the Black Messiah at number five, uh, which I think. Another subscriber screening. Sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah, yeah, it was too. We obviously pick them well. We do. We, do we pick don't actually them. pick those, but <laughs> we contribute. <laughs> <laughs> we, we pimp them and sometimes introduce them. To get down to this Thursday screening of um, the worst woman in the world, you might see me introducing it. Worst person in the world. Worst person in the world. Pers- <laughs> yeah. It is person. She might also be the worst woman. That's Who true. Uh, probably not though. Um, now at number four. The only film in this list that didn't get a general release. Having only screened at festivals, it may have only screened in Australia at MIFF, but I didn't get the time to research that claim. But after personally finding a few films about film a bit disappointing over the years, this felt like a bolt of lightning. At number four is cult film Brainiac, uh, Kayla Janice's three-hour-plus documentary on the inspiration, history, and evolution of folk horror cinema, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitch, a history of folk horror. And this appeared on mine, Sally's, Cerise's, and Will's lists. Oh, wow. I've got to seek that out. I haven't watched it. It is brilliant. It's made, it's coming out in the US on a set, a box set of folk horror films, um, which is part of the sort of whole overall project called All These Haunts Are Ours. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know what kind of release it's getting here, but I'd love someone like Shudder or someone to pick it up because it is just, it's basically a three hour masterclass 
on on folk horror cinema and from all over the world and the you know um, sort of things like colonization and things that kind of have influenced all of that and it's just yeah, I've seen a lot of film docos the last few years have been a bit dry and a bit like, uh, and, you know, haven't quite gone deep enough and this one just goes there and I could have I could just watched it all the way through again. It's brilliant. Now, number three is the film I mentioned before. A film. This is the film that only appeared on two lists but was the number one film of the year for two of us. Now, this is a film we reviewed way back in fe- February on our second show of the year. It's Mine and Sally's number one films of 2021 but only got to number three on our list. It's a caustic drama directed like a horror movie about a fractured family led by a well-meaning but greedy and narcissistic patriarch. And the first film from director Sean Durkin in almost a decade. Oh, how did I leave this off my list? The Nest. <laughs> you can tell I wrote my list in a hurry. I'm just, I'm shocked by my own, yeah. Oh, Your own that mission is, that, is, that is wonderful film. I'm going to update mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll re-release it. If you did, a, uh, oh, yeah, no. I'm glad I, it made it in though because yeah. that is an exceptional film. Oh, it, it was a knockout. Yes. It was a film yeah. that absolutely floored me I, and it just lived in my head for mm. weeks afterwards in a way that so few films lately have. And mm. it's oh, it, it's just, yeah, again, one of these films that has all these themes baked into it but in a beautifully subtle way. And it's and the way it, yeah, the sort of almost horror-style directorial yeah, um, flourishes even though it's basically a family drama. And, one of my, oh. and maybe my favourite performance of the year by Carrie Coon. Yes, um, yes, that scene where it's literally just Jude on her Law's face. talking and, it, yeah, just yeah. her face. <laughs> it's the and best. it's like that is and acting. a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's ple- this, it, this is the most underrated film of 2021. Um, yeah, seek it out. It's called The Nest. Um, you can rent it on uh, various places. Now we're down to the top two. And we've had, we've had most people's top ten, but we've not had yours, Flick, or Carl's. Now, before I launch in, I'll say this. Not only do these films appear on half the lists, points-wise, they streeted the field. Nothing came close, but they were only divided by one point. Wow. So at number two, a film that in other lesser hands could have just been reduced to a meme, a cheap knockoff making fun of its wild, prolific, beloved star and the subject of his quest, but instead was a small, almost meditative reflection on the nature of art, cuisine, greed, and grief. At number two... Carl Chapman's number one film of the year and Primal Screen's number two is Michael Sarnowski's rather odd drama starring the great Nicolas Cage, Pig. Carl, what was it about Pig that made it your film of the year? Well, for one thing, it was probably one of the more recent ones, so therefore it sort of stuck in my mind more. Recency bias? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm really surprised, actually, that it's come so high and having a sense of what's coming next. I'm also surprised by that one. Um, but, uh, no, look, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i a big Nick Cage fan also. Uh, I think he always brings an incredible presence to his films. And, of course, he does actually have some words in this one, unlike, uh, what was the one set in the... Uh, oh, Willy's Wonderland. Willy's Wonderland, oh, yeah. Uh, no, look, I mean, I just thought it was very interesting. It, it just really took us on a bit of an unexpected journey. I mean, it started off as one thing, and then it really became something more, uh, as you say, a bit of a meditation perhaps on masculinity and, uh, you know, the, just these characters and the way they, mm, I don't know, one of them to me was very unlikable to begin with. Mm. And then you begin to see another side of his life and that changes and the relationship with his family members. And I think also just learning more about Nick Cage and his background uh, as, as the character in this film. Mm. And then there's this weird, weird kind of underworld, underbelly. It's bizarre. Fight, so you know, weird. sort of fight scene, um, which seems slightly surreal, but somehow still works. 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely an odd one. Um, but yeah, that appeared in 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 lots of lists. Um, thank you, Carl. That was is, is that Carl's first review that he's ever done? No, on the show? Carl is. Well, actually, he's only second. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got Carl in for um, No Time to Die. Because, oh, of um, course he did. We needed our British uh, British expert, Bond expert, <laughs> Agent 007. Thank you for that, Carl. That's lovely. Um, so now we've come to the top spot. Um, should we do a quick cart before we reveal what number number one is? You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. Welcome back to Primal Screen on Triple R uh, with Flick Ford and Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, we've been counting down Primal Screen's top 10 films of 2021, and we are at the number one spot. So the top 10 has been from 10 to, to, to 1, uh, The Sparks Brothers, Titane, Promising Young Woman, Lamb, First Cow, Jesus and the Black Messiah, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, The Nest, Pig, and now continuing the animal theme that has run through this countdown is the return to the big screen after 12 years and two miniseries of one of New Zealand's greatest directors, a Western psychological drama and borderline thriller, and not only Flick's number one film of 2021, but Primal Screens, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. I'm so glad this made it in. Now the world makes sense again. Um, I bloody love this film. So exceptional. Uh, I'm still having conversations about it. I saw it a few weeks ago and... uh, Campion, she can do no wrong. <laughs> she back. <laughs> it's a wild ride. Like also, it's a film that just—it's almost like two or three films in one. I love the fact we have two of the winners of the Palme d'Or at Cannes, who are the only two women yes. to have won this award: and Julia the, DeCono and Jane Campion. And the other one, I think she won, or was she nominated? Who is this? Did Lena Wertmiller win one? Because she died. Oh, of course. This week. Lena Wertmiller. Yeah, it was for another award, wasn't it? Was it the Academy? Oh, or? maybe it's the Oscar nominees. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at least two, two award-winning women in our, yes. our top ten. Love it. Yeah. Um, big year. Um, yeah, this yeah, this is a this is a terrific movie. I mean, obviously we're right at the end, we can't say too much. And uh have, have we've reviewed, reviewed, it. We've reviewed so, it. Go back yeah. and listen to that. Absolutely. <laughs> So there you go, listeners. Ah, we've we've ended the uh, m- m- I've ended my era on Primal Screen with a perfect top ten countdown. Go out and check all those films. Listen to past shows to listen to our reviews. Um, next week I may be gone, but Flick isn't. She'll be doing the latest in our now annual Christmas specials, rounding up a bunch of Triple R presenters for their the Grinch. <laughs> Thank you to everyone on Triple R who's been so awesome to me and, and to this show and has supported us over the year. To you, Flick, to you, Carl, to Sally, to Emma, to Lisa, to everybody, uh, and to Morty and everyone else that's helped us over the years. Um, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Um, good night. Goodbye, farewell, and I'm in. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 